With that being said, let's turn, and maybe you use your smartphone for your Bible. We welcome you to do so, or turn in your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. We'll read the first 16 verses of Acts chapter 21. You'll also find the words on the screen. Acts 21, beginning in verse 1. And when they had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we come into sight of Cyprus, leaving on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days were ended there, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed again to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For for I am ready to not only be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. If you've been with us a number of weeks, we're back in the book of Acts and working our way through the final days of Paul's ministry, as it will turn out, the final years that we have on record. And we find ourselves in the midst of what seems to be a, a personal journal or a travel itinerary. Where do we pick up into this story of travel? I want to note that they're working their way to Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 21, verse 15, after these days we got ready and went up to Jerusalem you'll note that there's a familiar refrain going on in Luke, the writer of Acts, and Luke's gospel. When Luke writes his gospel, you will hear in verse 51 of chapter 9, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to Jerusalem. Speaking of Jesus. In other words, the life and the ministry of Jesus, although with towns and villages and people in view, was always set to go to Jerusalem. And Jesus set his face. It's a way of saying he purposed in his heart. He had a vision. He had a clarity. I know where I'm heading. 
He's nothing worse than traveling somewhere and only getting nowhere. He's traveling to Jerusalem, and although Jesus is going to touch many lives, and he's going to do a lot of ministry, he is resolute, and he's heading to Jerusalem. And now the same writer, Luke, is perhaps paralleling what's going on in Paul's ministry to draw our attention to that same resolute leader quality, one which fathers, I encourage you in today, to have a vision for life to have a sense of purpose and mission and to be clear about it and to move in that direction. And this is where the Apostle Paul is. He's going to Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 20, verse 16, we hear that he's hastening his way. Let me just read that. Acts 20 and verse 16. Starting in verse 15, And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios, And the next day we touched at Samos. And the next day we went on to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem. If possible on the day of Pentecost. Dads, have you ever driven the car a little faster because you were hastening to get somewhere? Amen. What Paul is saying to us through his actions and what God is reminding us is that there is some schedule in life. And the Apostle Paul is wanting to set that schedule and keep that schedule. He's saying, I want to get to Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. And just like many dads out there, he's got the GPS finder and he wants to make sure. And if he sees on that newfangled device you put on your dashboard that he's going to be late, he'll start accelerating. He wants to get there, wants to make sure that he's on time. So much so that he says, I'm not going to pass through Ephesus because I'll get bogged down. What's in Ephesus? Well, if you've been with us, you remember there were a ton of people that God had touched through Paul's life. He had been there himself for some two and a half years teaching at the Hall of Tyrannus. People there knew him. So what he did instead was say, I'm not going to, if I go to Ephesus, I'll never get out. I'll never make it to Jerusalem. What I'm going to do is just swing around, go to Miletus, and I'll call for those elders to come down so we can fellowship together. He's keeping a schedule. During this time of history, not only is Luke, who's a part of this traveling band, he speaks to himself of himself in the first person saying, we came to a straight course. That Luke, the writer, is actually here. So obviously keeping record, keeping journal... And those weren't the only records being kept. The Apostle Paul was still prolific in his writing. He was writing to the various churches. And one of the letters written right around this time period of this travel was the letter to Romans. You'll find it in your Bible right after the book of Acts. And at the end of Romans, in chapter 15, Paul asked the Roman believers to pray for him because he had a few things on his mind. In Christian perspective, in our practice, we're not to stress over the things on our mind, but we're to... Be anxious about nothing, but through everything, through prayer and petition, make our requests known to God. Philippians 4, 6. Paul asked for two things. Church in Rome, would you pray? Would you pray, number one, that I'll be delivered from unbelievers in Judea? And number two, pray that my acceptable service is found acceptable to the saints in Jerusalem. What's going on here is that the Apostle Paul had been traveling around 
what we would call Macedonia, modern-day Greece. He's traveling around, visiting all the churches, and he's collecting an offering, an acceptable service. He's collecting funds to take with him to Jerusalem. And all the while he knows that once he gets there, Jerusalem is in the area of Judea, there will be people there that will not like him. He's already been there, and they don't like the fact that he's reaching non-Jewish people. And now he's going to bring money from non-Jewish people to help Jewish people. So he's asking the non-Jewish people or Jewish people all in Rome, in the church of Rome, he's asking them, will you pray for me because I want the people to be blessed in Jerusalem through this great gift. And I want those who don't believe that Jesus yet is Lord, I want you to help me. I pray I'd be delivered from them. But in the text we just read from Acts 21, the Holy Spirit is prophesying, your hands will be bound and your feet bound and you'll be imprisoned once you get to Judea. And yet, he's going to go. And so often in our life, we get that tension, and we'll see it even more clearly in a moment in the text, in which we sense God wants us to do something, but it's going to be hard. And the human tension is to say, well, that must mean God's not in it. I mean, God's one who's going to bless. He's going to make a way. Well, what if the road is marked with suffering? What if there's pain in the offering? So he says, pray with me. Pray for me. And we see that Paul has these things on his mind. And what's strange, and I have one more PowerPoint slide to show you, is that in Acts chapter 20, as he's moving from Macedonia towards Jerusalem, something odd happens. He seems to want some alone time. Acts chapter 20 and verse 13. But going on ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul on board there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. Again, strange verses. Pastor Brian, where is all this going? And what's it have to do with Father's Day? Well, we're about to see. But if we can put the the map up for us. We're traveling from Macedonia, and we're sweeping over the Aegean Sea and on to modern-day Turkey, and they find themselves in the upper left-hand corner at Troas. And you'll see there what's in geographical terms a little peninsula. And what happens is that Paul says, look, all of you guys hop on the boat, and you sail around the peninsula to Assos. But I'm going to go by land. And so the Paul's going to walk, and this is the actual Roman road on the right that goes from Troas to Assos. Still exists today. That Paul most likely walked that very path. And what he's saying to his, his, his friends is, look, you take the boat, I'll meet you there. And then presumably Paul is going to walk by himself. Paul needs some alone time. Perhaps it's a prayer walk. He knows that he's heading to Judea, and they don't like him there. His life will be on the line. Even before it's prophesied, he may have that sense that he needs to collect himself and get with the Lord. And sometimes you need to separate yourself so that your mind can focus in on what needs to happen. 
Sometimes you need to separate yourself because when you're around everyone else, guess what they want? You. And they're after you. And they got questions. And they got needs. And you just need to be alone. You say, what does this have to do with Father's Day? Paul is keeping the schedule. Paul has a lot of things on his mind, and he needs some alone time. Happy Father's Day. That's every dad I know. We think that the Bible is presumably a book about God. Certainly it is. Pastor Dick Lucas of the UK said, but strangely, we then find people on every page. It's not just a story or the narrative of of God. It's not just a theological tome. What God is imparting to us through His Spirit is how to worship and live with Him and with others on earth. And He's letting us see in these glimpses of this travel itinerary that the Apostle Paul is kind of like us. These aren't super giants of faith. They're not way out there as some distant saint. They're men and women just like you and just like me. And he's saying, I need some alone time, and the only way to do that is to buy a ticket for these boys and put them on a boat. Because it's shorter to walk than to sail around that peninsula. Maybe some 21, 31 miles to walk, but he thought, this is going to be fantastic. You can imagine him walking that road, seeing God's creation, and being restored and being renewed, but all the while realizing that this schedule that he was keeping and the things that were on his mind, and yes, the alone time, were moving him to Jerusalem. But along that way, and again, with particular view of fathers in mind, Paul pays particular attention to personal relationships. That fathers, even though we get busy with our schedule, and even though we have tons going on in our mind, there is a moment in which we need to attend to the people around us. Personal relationships require personal attention. Although he's in haste, although he's in a hurry, he does not blow off the Ephesian elders. Although he's in haste, he stays seven days here while there's prophecy and ministry going on. What he's showing us is that being present has great value. And fathers, I want to encourage you to maintain a priority in the ministry of presence. Showing up means a lot. Face-to-face is preferred over Facebook. Showing up physically means a lot. When your son or daughter has that event, and believe me, culture has gone crazy. They got to play now for the first graders, then the second graders, then the third graders, then the fourth graders, and you got to stay to the end because they're all going to come together and sing one grand song. Schools have gone mad. Soccer games, basketball games, football games, dance recitals, piano recitals, cheerleading, thank you. And the list goes on. And we have a schedule to keep. And we have a lot on our mind. But being present communicates love. And I want to challenge us to think about it beyond physical presence. 
I'm talking about being present emotionally, even being present spiritually. What am I saying? I'm saying I can, and I, I struggle. I'm laying this down before you as a man who's failed many times. I can be present at my daughter's basketball game, but not be there. Oh, I'm physically there, but my mind, my soul, my interest level is somewhere else. And I grab onto my phone, and I'm thinking, i got to multitask. Because why? Because I have a schedule to keep. And I have so much on my mind. And I'm thinking, I need to download this and get it going. I need to work on this and work on that. And I need to, And then your kid's doing that, and they're like, they made the shot. And they're like, Daddy, did you see that? And you're like, I can't lie, no. Because I was in my book. I was in my phone. I was doing this. I was on... And they're learning, and they're working real hard, and they get a timeout, and they look over, and where are you, and where am I? We're off in the hallway on our phone. And then what we're communicating is that in this moment, this is more important than me. I know that might not be in our heart, but that's what our actions are communicating. They're letting this little one know, it was important for you to bring me here, but not be present here. And so being present. It's more than physically showing up. It's emotionally engaging. It's living in that moment with them. It's watching them, looking at them, cheering them on, picking them up, putting your arm around them. And then, as Paul often does, it's praying with them and for them. It's standing as one, being present. Personal relationships require personal attention. And can we go right back into the text that we started with, Acts chapter 21? Leaving aside some of the travel itinerary, pick it up in verse 4. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all with wives and children accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. They were saying, and the Scripture is using the word through the Spirit, don't go. Don't go. Oh, we get the sense as we pray that something bad's coming your way. It's going to be difficult. We don't all have the answers, but we're saying, please don't go. Please don't go. And we don't get any record in this text that Paul argued with them or even tried to convince them. That for seven days, fathers, he just listened. I don't know if that's really what happened. All I can say is what's here. I can't really presuppose what's not here. But can I say we can draw from this that being present means we're listening not lecturing. Preaching to myself is tough. We're not trying to convince them. We're not arguing with them. Do we need to be the father who's right all the time? Listening is about being heard. Listening is about respect and love and allowing someone to share their view, even if it's immature, even if it's not fully baked. What has God already prepared Paul to do? We already let the cat out of the bag. He's going to go to Jerusalem. He says, I could care less about imprisonment. I'm ready to die. And they're there. Please don't go. You might get hurt. 
He doesn't have to convince them. He doesn't have to argue with them. He doesn't have to say, you're wrong. He just listens, and then he goes on. Dads, what would it look like if we spent more time listening and less time talking? What would it look like if we're asking more questions than trying to give answers? What would it sound like in our home if we're content with listening and we learn to love it? I'm not saying there aren't times to give answers. There certainly are. And sometimes our children and grandchildren will ask significant questions. They'll ask the big questions of life. This happened to a pastor and his youngest son, Jeff. Jeff, at six years old, just finished doing the outside chores with his dad and this pastor thought, you know, this would be a great opportunity for us to just sit down for a few minutes and gaze up at the sky. With that puzzled look, then the little boy turns to his dad, looking up at the sky, and he says, why are we here? Oh, boy, the million-dollar question. What every father and certainly pastor would want to answer. So the pastor brings out his best teaching for six-year-olds. He explains how we're all children of the Father in heaven. He explains how God sent us here. He loves us, wants us to experience his love and all that he created for us. God wants us to serve one another. God wants us to grow and develop qualities that will allow us to return to be with the Lord one day. Then the father paused and says, now, does that answer your question? Little Jeff said, not really. The pastor began to think how else he might be able to answer Jeff's question when he blurted out, Dad, why are we here? I mean, weren't we supposed to pick up Mom an hour ago? Yeah, personal relationships require personal attention, particularly for Mom. It's just this kind of understanding that I need as much as any dad potentially here, that my children don't need all my lectures, but they do need my attention, and my presence. Secondly, from Paul, we learn that personal sacrifice rivals personal comfort. Again, with particular attention to fathers, we now read on in verse 7. Acts 21 and verse 7. When he had finished the voyage from Tyre, he arrived at Ptolemaeus. We greeted the brothers and we stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will buy the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Personal sacrifice is pitted against personal comfort every time. How comfortable it would be for Paul to say, well, I've heard from the Lord. It's going to be dangerous down there in Judea. You know what I'll do? I'll send this money that we collected. I'll just send it with one of the brothers. 
I'll send a nice letter, write a nice card, send him a text. We'll make it all happen. But it really wasn't about only the money being delivered. It was about the ministry of presence and obeying the prompting of the Lord. He had set his face. He was hastening to go to Jerusalem. Life isn't going to be comfortable. There's going to be sacrifice involved. There's going to be a binding of hands and feet and maybe worse. Yes. Yes, there's going to be, on occasion, there's going to be a great challenge come to us as humans in following the Lord. And I would submit to you, fathers, as a gentle reminder, there's great challenge in obeying God's command of being a father. To train up your child in the way he and she should go, this is a 24-hour job with great sacrifice along the way. So much will not be comfortable. And that tension will exist between our own desire for comfort as humans and our own desire to obey the Lord and become the Father He wants us to be. We'll ask ourselves, how many hours do I really need to work to adequately provide for the family? How many times do I need to sit down and go over the budget to make sure we have what we need, to talk to my kids about their education, to speak to them about faithfulness and faith in God? How many times will I need to stay late at work or rise early? Versus how many fishing trips do I really need to go on? How many hours of video games is good? Is binge-watching Netflix for 12 hours reasonable? How many hours can I hide in the garage, my basement, or wherever else? Yes, we have schedules to keep. Yes, we have a lot on our mind. And yes, we need alone time. And now that tension exists. How much of that can I do comfortably for me? And how much of that does my family need me to sacrifice for them? And we don't know the answer. At least there's no stated number of hours. The Bible doesn't read that way. We don't get the sense that we have this grand plan. Step one, step two. But we have a great Lord who invites us into His greatness and says, My grace is sufficient for you. He also invites us to pray and to ask for wisdom from on high. He also invites us to enter into life as Jesus lived it. I want to submit to you that this progress of human life, this moving forward, requires some statement of goals. For the Apostle Paul, the goal at this point was very simple. I'm going to Jerusalem, and not one person is going to dissuade me. Fathers, I'm going to ask you to set a goal. Set a goal for your time spent with the children, with the grandchildren. Set a goal for the time spent with your spouse. Set a goal for their education. Set a goal for the finance. Set a goal for career. But with fatherhood in view, set a goal and be resolute. Submit the goal before the Lord. Proverbs 16.3, submit your plans to the Lord that they may succeed. Oh, Lord, I submit this plan to you. May it go well. If it's not your plan, then I pray, give me your plan. But if we feel wandering, if we feel overwhelmed, if we feel overcome, it's largely because we don't have a clarity in our goal. Where are we going? Paul's saying, I'm going to Jerusalem. Does it mean everyone in your family is going to agree? Does it mean everyone's going to be on board? Nope. But when they see 
the clarity of your movement. And they see that you still pay personal attention to them and that you listen. requires a mental toughness. So often we speak in church of spiritual terms, but can I also speak in the wholeness of how God made us body, soul, and spirit? It requires our mind to get tough. I love watching golf right now as the U.S. Open, and what you see in golf is not that they're the greatest physical athletes on the planet, but they become the greatest mental athletes on the planet because every single time they step up to the ball, they have to be on point. And when they fail, when they blow it, when they make a mistake, they have to let that go and get back on point. And I love the sports analogies. And again, because of Father's Day, there's a great football player with so many championships, Vince Lombardi. He writes this, Mental toughness is Spartanism with qualities of sacrifice, self-denial, dedication. Mental toughness is fearlessness, and it is love. we got to gird up our mind. And say, I'm not going to get off track. I've got a goal, and I'm going to go in that direction. And I'm going to pay attention to my children, and I'm going to listen. And that's who I am, and that's who I'm going to be. And comfort, get behind me for this moment, because I'm going to sacrifice this time for those that I love. And this is the football coach telling us that. Another football coach, Lou Holtz, Notre Dame Irish for many years, winning championships, writes this. And I take it on board because I have fumbled and failed. And perhaps you have too. He writes, sacrifice, discipline, and prayer are essential. We gain strength through God's word. We receive grace from the sacrament. And when we fumble due to sin, and it's going to happen, confession puts us back on the field. Fathers, if you're like me and you've fumbled and failed and our resoluteness, if we've fumbled and failed and haven't spent quality time with our children, oh sure, we were present. Maybe we weren't even present. This is not the woe is me sermon. This is no violin playing in the background, no soft music. This is football language. Get back on the field. Your family needs you, your children need you, and the way back forward is, Lord, I confess my sin. I have failed in this regard. Get back on the field of fatherhood. Step back on. You're a player. You're not an observer. You're not a fan. You are an active player in God's plan for your children. Get back on the field. His grace is sufficient. And of course, Jesus is the ultimate one that we can be looking to and will close worship team, you can begin to make your way forward by thinking upon Jesus again. We've already referenced Luke chapter 9. Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. He understood so well what was going to befall him there. And Luke 18 verse 31 tells us what would befall him. It wouldn't be imprisonment. It would be what Paul said he was prepared for. Reading from Luke 18 verse 31, and taking the twelve He said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. Jesus is setting the 
prime example for us all of sacrifice. There certainly will be a moment, dads, where you will have to tell your buddies, you have to tell your boss, we'll have to tell someone, I can't do that trip. I'm not going to make it. I'm unable to do that because I'm going home. Because I gave my word to my little one and I'm going to be there. And that's where Jesus is at, realizing that humanity, you and me included, are hanging in the balance. Oh, Lord, can we do that also? Yes. Because now we're no longer alone. But this same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead on the third day lives in you. Jesus, just like us, struggled. And the third phrase that I would give you is that personal prayer connects us personally to our Father. So now, fathers, this is for you, but this is for everyone in the room. Prayer personally connects us personally to our Father. Jesus, when He was at the point break, forget now that He's the Son of God. I'm talking about as a man, as a human being, when He's at the point now of paying this ultimate price, we should not think it, it's easy at all. Luke 22, verse 39 says quite the opposite. And he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. Let me pause there. Jesus had a schedule to keep. Jesus had a lot on his mind. And Jesus needed some alone time. He separated himself to go and do what? Watch TV. Put your feet up. Men, women, there is a place for all of that rest and recreation. And there is a place in our deep moment of sacrifice and trial where nothing will suffice except alone time for prayer time. And here's Jesus. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Our God answers that prayer. Our God runs swiftly to help us do His will, to help us sacrifice, to help us give. But it doesn't take away the sacrifice, does it? Verse 44 says, And being in agony, He prayed more earnestly. And His sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when He rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. I love how Jesus in this passage gives us such an illustration, such an example, but even beyond that, I love that he obeys and he does what's needed for you and for me. That on this Father's Day, our Heavenly Father provided for you and for me a right relationship with Him. 
And no matter where your relationship is with your earthly father, no matter where your relationship is as father to your children, our heavenly father has provided with great sacrifice everything needed for you and for me. And he loves you and he has given himself for you. And I want to invite you, let's give ourselves to him as we close. Would you bow your head with me before we sing this song? And close, I simply want to invite you, if you are in a relationship with Jesus and with the Father in heaven, then I give praise. If you're not in a relationship, if your relationship with your heavenly Father is so distant and disconnected, I ask you to surrender again, realizing that He gave the sacrifice on that cross. You're His son, you're His daughter, He loves you. In just a moment, we're going to sing, and if you're moved by His Spirit, you want to give your life, just pray and say, Lord, I surrender to you. If you want to come forward and have someone pray with you, we'll be standing here ready. Our gracious Father, we are giving thanks on this Father's Day that you are true. You're authentically present. Thank you for your presence here. We thank you that you attend to us physically and emotionally and spiritually. We thank you that you're a great listener. We thank you that when it comes to the tension of comfort and sacrifice, you chose sacrifice. And we thank you, Father, that you taught us now and you teach us always how to pray. That even in our failure, your grace is sufficient. The same for us that you've always wanted for your children to surrender to you and receive from you. May we give you our praise. And may we give you our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing this chorus before we're dismissed? If you'd like to surrender your life to Jesus, we welcome you to come and pray with one of our members here at the front. If you want prayer for anything, I want someone to pray with you, we ask you to come. Let's sing together. Thank you, Jesus.